0: You're listening to Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
1: Do you get the sense that we're sort of staring into a historic game in NBA history coming off of what happened in Game 6? Or do you think that's the game and that's the moment that everybody is going to remember the most?
2: It's probably going to be that Game 6.
1: Now, is it possible that it gets
2: topped and Jimmy Butler hits a 3 to win to have the Heat beat the Celtics 108-106? Uh, Sure, that's possible. And by the way, feel free to clip that if that ends up being correct and ignore it if it ends up being wrong. But, uh, yeah, I, there's possibility that we could see something epic here. The last time we saw the Celtics in a Game 7, we saw yeah. an epic performance from Jason Tatum. 51. So, yeah, entirely possible that we do see something, but it's going to be hard to top what we saw yeah. the other night.
1: Well, listen. It, it, when you have historic game sixes, and there are a bunch of them in sports history, right? You have LeBron, game six in Boston, probably the greatest performance of his career in the 2012 playoffs, right? And mm-hmm. after that, you know, p- p- nobody really remembers, like, game seven was close ish in Miami, but the Heat ended up rolling ahead in the end and ended up going on to win the title. The Bill Buckner game is a historic Game 6. Nobody really remembers Game 7 very clearly, except for you, because you're a Mets fan. Oh, uh, I remember, no, with Game 6, I was, let's be real, I was five years old. But yep. in my closet, I still
2: have the uh, World Champs 86 jer- uh, jacket that uh, my dad bought me after Might they Might be won't. worth
1: something. Um, the Carlton Fisk game was a Game 6. I'm just going yep. through different games in sports history. And a lot of them, you know, the Game 7 then just kind of doesn't measure up. And sometimes, you know, like that Carlton Fisk situation, the Reds ended up going on to win game seven, not the Red Sox. So, you know, I wouldn't totally rule out the possibility that not only could Miami be in this, but you and I both think that if the game is close, we would edge Miami. As opposed yeah. to, if the Celtics win, it's probably going to be the 23 performance where they just get hot shooting and where they just kind of avalanche after falling down three games to none. Richard in New York has called Triple H say ESPN, and he joins us. Fitz and Harry's on ESPN Radio. What's up, Richard? Richard? Oh, no. He held for like he, two he was, hours yeah, he was all he of was... Greeny and into Fitz and Harry, and Richard is gone. Ugh. What a tough day for Richard. Uh, if Boston wins, is it more about the Celtics' incredible comeback, Michael, or is it more about Miami choking this away? Everywhere
2: except for South Florida, it will be about Boston coming back. In South Florida, of course, it will be about Miami losing this this great chance. But the reality of the situation is this, Boston has the more talented team. They were the better team in the regular season. They are the deeper team. What Miami did to get it to 3-0, after taking out the number one seed in the first round, after taking out the Knicks, after being in situations that they have been all playoffs long, speaks to Eric Spolstra's acumen as a head coach, speaks to Jimmy Butler's incredible talent as a star in this league. But it will be about Boston's comeback. It will not be about Miami choking or giving this away at all because of what Boston was able to do. History
1: tends to favor the winners, Aaron, not the losers. Sure. In 2004, I mean, I think it is more about Boston's comeback because I think the Yankees really battled them at least in Games 4 and 5. By the time we got to Game 7, I think the momentum had totally shifted and the Yankees had no pitchers left, no bullpen left, nothing left, and the Red Sox at that point had broken them. But, you know, I, I think that that story is told more through the lens of a comeback than it is through the lens of a choke job. The great chokes in sports history, right, are... 28-3 28-3 to 3 is a great joke in sports history because there are things the Falcons, as you know, covering them for ESPN NFL Nation, really could have done to prevent that from happening. It was both the Patriots making great plays, but it also, to a great extent, was... Atlanta's untimely holding calls and ridiculous coaching decisions and turning the ball over. I mean, there was all of that that had to happen in order to even give the Patriots an opportunity to me, that is as much a choke or at least maybe a little more than it is an all-time great comeback. It is. And by the way, you just probably
2: angered whoever is listening in Atlanta. They have just like involuntarily twitched. And now they're trying to find you in Cleveland where by the way, Cleveland has had a few chokes as well <laughs> in their history, okay. often in football as well.
1: I mean, look, the late,
2: late 80s, I mean, you have names for these
1: things. Yes. The drive. There are names for these things. The, 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 the drive, the fumble. It's interesting how history tells the story. Is it told as a great comeback or is it told as an incredible choke job triple eight say espn is our number eight at eight seven two nine three seven seven six game seven tonight you can hear it on most of these espn radio stations brian winhurst is going to join us to preview it he'll be live in boston coming up about 10 minutes from now so you don't want to miss that in the meantime mark is in north carolina he joins us on fitz and harry aaron goldhammer michael rothstein in for the guys what's up mark hey happy memorial day to you um you too thank you um
3: I don't think Joe Mazzola is getting enough credit for this Boston run. If you remember game three, he pulled all the starters out, set them on the bench in the fourth quarter. he, He is a defensive mind, I think, more than anything, because he comes from, a lot of people don't know, he comes from the West Virginia and the Bobby Huggins team, which is, which he learned off him that defense wins games. And it seems like the last
1: three games, their defense intensity has picked up. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's done some good things, Mark. And th- thanks for the call. I think that he's learned from his mistakes, Michael. But also, he has made some incredible mistakes. Even the decision to challenge the Horford foul on Butler, With 2.1 and then three seconds to go in game six, that was a screw up. That was a coaching screw up. It, It ended up being sort of a happy accident, right, that they ended up putting more time on the clock, which allowed Derek White the time to tip in the smart shot. But it was not, in hindsight, a smart challenge. It wasn't a good play. The other thing he still does that drives me crazy is he doesn't call timeouts, when the other team is going on a run. And I bet you'll see that again tonight. Miami goes on an 8-0 run, no timeout. Miami goes 10-0, no timeout. Miami goes 12-0, no timeout. My, and then all of a sudden, it's it like, are you going to stop this, Joe, at some point? <laughs> Coach, do you want to jump in here and try to curb the momentum? I See, I have less of an issue with
2: that, Aaron, because sometimes you got to trust your players, especially when you have players with as much experience as the Celtics do, more experience, frankly, and Marcus Smart has pointed that out multiple times, more experience than the head coach, sometimes it's best to let guys play through it. Yep. That said, Joe Missoula to me, I get—I guess, guess what the last caller was saying, but I just, I still don't see it from him. I, I just don't. I actually wonder if the Celtics lose this game tonight, what that means for Joe Missoula's future. Because remember, he was put into this situation, not... As the this is our choice, this is the absolute guy. Yeah, he's here because of what happened to Adoka in the preseason, in
1: the, uh, sure, you know, close sure, to the preseason. Sure. I, so, I do think I just don't know. Definitely, man. he is definitely. I'll give him credit for this. He has definitely saved his job by not mm-hmm. getting swept in this series. Like, I think if they lose tonight, I think he is still definitely coming back next year. Now, will Celtics fans criticize him? Could he be on the hot seat? Yes. But I was worried when they were down 3-0, he was going to get fired if they lost Game 4 in Miami. But here's the thing.
2: There's so many coaches still out there. So many high-level talent coaches still out there, right? You've got Doc out there. Doc's had success in Boston. You have... Nick There's Nurse no is out he's there. Going I'm back. not saying he's coming back, but I'm just saying you've got Nick Nurse, you've got Monty Williams. You have very high level co- B- Budenhausers even out there. You know, you could mark make the argument whatever you want there. Frank Vogel's still out there. There are high level coaches that if you feel like maybe Missoula is not your guy, do you want to waste another year of your window? Yeah. In that. And that's just a question that I would ask. If they win tonight, I think you can then he's your guy. And it maybe becomes very a career very similar to what the guy he's facing in Eric Spolstra was. Yeah, if Spo was coaching the
1: Celtics, not the Heat, yeah. would the series be over already? Yeah, it would have been over two to three games six, ago. Yeah, six days ago, I was going to yeah. say, is, is the difference between the 2 Uh 888-729-3776 is our number if you want to jump in with us. We go to Jacob, who is in Virginia, is on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. What's up, Jacob? Hey, can you hear me? I can there hear you gotcha. loud and clear. How's it going? First off, big fans. Um,
3: I just wanted to say, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think I think this is kind of a, uh, I would say, more of a choke job on the Miami side. I mean, I don't want to take away from what Boston's been doing the last couple games. I mean, obviously, Marcus Smart has been performing very well, shooting at a high clip from three. And, I mean, you know, Derek White coming in clutch there at the end of game six. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just think that there was – Lots of times where Miami had the chance to kind of, you know, step on the gas and, and kind of take this thing home and, and, and take them to the finals. I just think that they haven't fully done that yet. Now, I mean, Jimmy Butler is, I mean, he, he has that, that thing where he can just, you know, you guys were talking about it earlier. He can just turn on that mode. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. But I don't know. I just think that Miami, I think that they should have and I think that they could have. Uh, taking this thing, uh, you know, you, to you the know end. What, but just, Jacob, thank you for the call. Yet.
1: You know what's funny about that, though? I mean, Boston has really dominated most of the last three games, right? I mean, they smoked them in Game Four. They smoked them in Game Five, and they had a ten-point lead with four minutes to go in Game Six. They were up by double figures and then totally caved in and collapsed. If anybody's choked in this series. Michael, it's kind of been more the Celtics doing the choking yeah. than Miami, in my opinion. I think it's amazing that Miami is here, even though they won the first three and then lost the next three. It's kind of amazing that they have this opportunity, which is a unique pregame speech that I think Eric Spolstra could make. And I think his players would believe him. 100, listen, the players clearly
2: believe in Spo. I don't think there's any question about that because if they didn't believe in him, they would not be here now because, again, the talent level that is on the Miami Heat is much less than the talent level that is on the Boston Celtics. It was much less than the talent level, even though Giannis was hurt, yep. on the Milwaukee Bucks. The Knicks, you can say, maybe equal talent level, but the the Knicks were the better team all year. So yeah man i like miami tonight i really do we haven't made a prediction yet but i'm just saying i like miami tonight and
1: and i i i just have seen these enough to know that i like the home teams in the game sevens unless you're playing against lebron or steph up next how would coming back from three nothing down change how we view jason tatum brian winhurst joins us live from boston fitz and harry aaron goldhammer michael rothstein in for the guys on this memorial day on espn radio the espn app
2: It's in Harry, the podcast.
3: Listen, I'll tell you one thing, man. If you don't know who D-White is. <laughs> you know who he is now.
0: Inbound to Smart. Turns it. She's the three left wing. Around and out.
2: There really was nobody on me. Um, when he shot it, just tried to crash.
3: As a tip was good at the end. We're waiting to get an official ruling. And they count it. Oh, they count the tip. And Boston wins it.
2: And everything was like a blur after that. Basketball for you. Basketball is fine. It's very, very, very entertaining. We wish we could tip this thing off right now.
1: Tony follows us on Twitter. I'm at HammerNation19. I'm Aaron Goldhammer. He is at Mike Rothstein. He is Michael Rothstein. He says it's Jimmy Bucket's Game 7 mode tonight. He's going to go off, stun the Celtics in Boston in Game 7. The Heat will avoid being the first team to blow a 3 nothing lead. Well, Brian Winhurst has covered a number of big games in Boston in his career. Tonight could be the biggest of all. Fitz and Harry's on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. And, Wendy, how would you describe the energy around the arena and with the fans as we head into this Game 7?
0: Well, I think there's... Uh, a strong feel here in Boston that this is going to be the latest historic comeback for the city. Obviously, 2004 Red Sox, which is one for the ages. I don't remember what Super Bowl number it was, but the 28 to three comeback over the Falcons, and now this one in 150, which is the um, you know 150 teams have been down 3-0. Um, I would just say that this series has been wonky from the start. Up is down, down is up, et cetera. Um, I don't have a good feel for how it's going to go. I would think that the Celtics, they're the better team. They're playing at home. They're 3 and 0 in game sevens in the last two years. There's a whole bunch of reasons why you would think that they would have a great opportunity, but do not assume anything going into this game, is my advice.
2: Woody, I kind of want to follow on with something Aaron said at the top. I mean, you've been around for a lot of Celtics games over the last 20 years plus. Is this one of the biggest games for them, considering the history that's in this franchise? Well, they have to, you know, they
0: would be favored, I think. Well, I don't I don't want to assume. They would go into the finals with home court advantage. Um, and they would have a real shot at, at winning. They would not be playing a team like the Warriors last year that had three titles. Now, the Nuggets have been very formidable in the postseason. And so maybe they would just keep on rolling. They obviously don't have an answer for Jokic. He is probably going to have a huge series no matter what. But, you know, the difference between them potentially winning a title and going home as a huge disappointment could be that tipping. in And so, you know, their motivation is, and their reality is that, you know, they are playing for a, a great chance to play in a playoff series against a team that has less finals experience than they do and won't have home court. And, you know, on balance, I think the talent is relatively even. Maybe you'd favor one through eight. You'd favor the Celtics a little bit. So, um, you know, it's a huge, huge um, situation here that, that the Celtics are playing for.
1: Brian, what does your experience tell you about how you think Miami is going to respond to really what I think has got to be one of the most crushing losses in NBA history?
0: Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of the challenge that the Spurs had, um, In 2013, when Ray Allen hit the shot and Greg Popovich talked about it took everything that he knew how to do and all of his team's experience to sort of pick them up to go play a game seven. In that situation, the Spurs were still on the road. Um, This situation, uh, Miami has to go on the road. So um, it's a tough ask. And here's the thing. I know that the Heat are the eighth seed and, and there is no shame at all in losing this, but You know, this isn't just about Boston. Miami has now had four chances in the last two seasons to close Boston out and get to the finals. And they are 0-4. And three of those have come at home. That is a bitter pill to swallow. For as much as I respect heat culture, as much as I respect Jimmy Butler, that is sitting there on their plate right now. And that is unpleasant to look at and think about. And I'll just say this, guys, last year... Not the exact same situation. The Heat were the number one seed at that time. But Last year, the Celtics won down in Miami in game five in the conference finals to go up 3-2. Everybody thought that series was over coming back to Boston. Jimmy Butler was dragging his leg around. It didn't look like it was going to happen. They came up here. Butler scored 47, 17 in the fourth quarter, one of the great performances I've ever seen in the postseason. So I am again going to say making assumptions about tonight's game is going to get you in trouble.
2: We're talking to Brian Windhurst, ESPN's NBA Insider, and is on the Hoop Collective podcast. So, Brian, all that said, what's the biggest key tonight, you think, for for, for whichever for Boston to win, for Miami to win? What, When you look at it, what's the biggest key on each side here?
0: This is going to sound like such a basic thing, but I'm not messing around. The Celtics cannot have a close game at the end. Because close games are favoring the Heat. Now you might say to yourself, Well, what are you talking about? The Celtics just won a close game. Guys, they were up nine points with three minutes to go in that game, and then they quit running offense. The Heat threw zone at them, and their like five or six offensive possessions in a row were embarrassing. They did not make a basket from the five-minute mark until that tip-in. They were rescued from a collapse by that play. And that is what happened early in this series when the Heat got the lead. The Heat outplayed them in a close game. The Celtics, for whatever reason, and by the way, this is not my opinion. The Celtics themselves will tell you this. For whatever reason, the Celtics seem to play better when they are down than when they are ahead, when it's close. Now, obviously, they have the capability to blow out a game 15, 18 points. It happened in Game 5 last week here. It happened in Game 7 last round against the Sixers. They have that capability. But as crazy as this sounds, if I was a Celtics fan, I would rather have my team down by five going into the fourth quarter than being up by five. Of course, I'd rather have them up by 15, <laughs> but that's the nature of these two teams. The Celtics, the, the Heat have proven to be more adept in pressure uh, clutch situations.
1: Wendy, what can the Heat do to get more production and a better game out of Bam out of bio?
0: Yeah, uh Aaron, that is the probably the centerpiece question of the game. He has not played well for four games now. When he had, when he scores over 20 points, they're 6 and 0 in the playoffs. When he scores under 20, they're 2 and 5 in their in their last 7 in those situations. And what the Celtics have done is they have backed off of him a little bit and tried to get into his passing lanes because he's a terrific passer. And um also Robert Williams coming off the bench means that they are throwing a rotation at him. Al Horford and Robert Williams you almost always have a fresher guy in there who's really big. And and Bam has been dribbling more, turning the ball over more uh, shooting less. He's not even getting shots up. Um, and so that is a huge thing. And Jimmy Butler has also been struggling against the heat's length, Robert Williams and Jason Tatum around the rim uh, and Derek white, who pretty much early in this series, uh, every time Derek white was on Jimmy Butler, he savaged him last couple games. Derek white has held his own. Um, There is really no way I can see the Heat winning without those two guys playing well. And it was a huge missed opportunity in Game 6. The Celtics had their worst three-point shooting night of the season. Not the playoffs, not the series, the season. And the Heat shot 48% from three-point range. Because Adebayo and Butler did not have good games, they're not preparing for Game 1 of the finals today. So it's obviously incumbent on them to rebound for this game tonight.
1: Michael, uh, Wendy, Scott Foster is officiating this game tonight. Uh, What does that, if anything, mean to you? There's a lot of chatter about it on social media. Historically, and I'm
0: going to say this again so that I'm not misquoted. Historically, having Scott Foster favors the visiting team. Now, why is that? Is that because he makes calls for the visiting team? No, not in my opinion. It's because Scott Foster is unafraid to make any call at any time, anywhere. And one of the reasons why home teams f- are always a little bit more favored is that officials, because it's human nature, sometimes tend to be, a, uh, a, you know, it's a little harder to make certain calls. That is not the case with Scott Foster. Scott Foster is very comfortable uh, making a crowd boo. And so um, I think it will only increase the chances of that being a very fair game tonight. And I think it only increases the chances of it being a toss up at the end. Brian, great stuff.
1: Appreciate the time. Try to enjoy Boston in game seven. Be well, guys. Enjoy your day. All right. That's Brian Winhurst, ESPN NBA insider, senior writer, and also host of the hoop collective podcast, which you can get wherever you listen to your podcasts up next. Could Game 7 actually end up being the final game for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown together in Boston? We explain. I'm Aaron Goldhammer with Michael Rothstein. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
2: Fitz and
3: Harry, the podcast. Is it a good take? That's good. Great. Or a hot take? How hot? Red hot. Find out now with Fitz and Harry.
1: Well, it is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive. We're in for the guys. I'm Aaron Goldhammer. He is Michael Rothstein. It's time for another edition of Good Take or Hot Take. Shannon, our producer, will give Mm -hmm. us the take. Michael, it's our job to decide. Is it a good take or is it a hot take? So, joining us live. From Bristol, Connecticut, mm-hmm. on the day of Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, here is Shannon Penn.
3: Well, thank you very much for that uh, introduction there, Aaron Goldhammer. All right, good take, hot take, Game 7 edition, all right? I'll give you a take, and tell me if you agree with it or not. Simple enough. Hot take? I mean, good take or hot take? Michael, I will start with you. Okay. Jason Tatum is Boston's best player, but he's not in alpha. Good
2: take or hot take. Good take. Now, he's shown possibilities and he's shown pockets of being that alpha, most notably the last Game 7 we saw Boston playing. when anyway, he went for 51 against Philadelphia. But far too often, it seems like he will not necessarily take over a game. Sometimes he'll look to Jalen Brown to do it, to Marcus Smart to do it. I like Jason Tatum as a player. I think he's a heck of a player. And there's nothing wrong with not being an alpha. It's okay to be like the second person if you're the high-level second person. We've seen that with Kevin Durant. No problem with that. I just don't know if he's that guy that's going to be able to rip your heart out over and over and over again. Because when we're talking about alphas, you're talking about guys like MJ. You're talking about guys like LeBron. You're talking about guys like Steph Curry. You're talking about that type of player. And I think Jason Tatum is an excellent basketball player. I just don't know if he's that.
1: Michael, I just I think that it's a hot take because I think what standard are we holding Jason Tatum to? Okay, do we really think he's on LeBron's level? Like the list of guys on LeBron's level, you can count on one hand in NBA history. So, no, I don't think he's one of the five greatest players of all time. But I think it's fair to say that two weeks ago he scored 51 points in a game seven, which is a pretty darn alpha thing to do. Um, I think he had a little bit of a confidence issue and a little bit of a ball handling issue. He's not perfect, but, I mean, he's more of an alpha than, <laughs> than than most guys are in the NBA. So, to me, I think that that is a hot take. Shannon, what do you got next?
3: All right, Goldhammer. Game seven will be the last game of the Jason Tatum-Jalen Brown duo in Boston. Good take or hot take?
1: I think that's a hot take. I think they understand that their best chance to win championships is to keep these two guys together. So I think even if the Celtics lose, I find it very hard to believe that just because of salary purposes and not wanting to pay two guys super supermax, they're going to end up, you know, trading them, breaking them apart. I think their best chance to win is with them together. Michael? Hot take, because two weeks ago, different conversation. Two weeks ago, it's probably a good take.
2: But what you've seen in the Philadelphia series. What you've seen the last week in this series tells you that the two of them together can work and can be incredibly, incredibly productive and something that you can build on for the long term. Because it goes back to what we were talking about before, is that if you don't necessarily buy into Jason Tatum being that alpha-alpha, and he had alpha moments, Aaron, and not every person needs to be, like, they can have alpha moments without being that, Jalen Brown is that perfect complement, because he can also have alpha moments. So you have two guys that can do that together. And that is how this Boston Celtics team has been built. So I think this is a hot take because those two guys play off each well, off each other so well. All right. We're
3: doing a little good take, hot take here on Fitz and Harry and ESPN Radio. Up next, Michael Rothstein. Jimmy Butler will be a no-doubt Hall of Famer if he leads this Heat team to a title.
2: Good take or hot take? Ooh. Probably good take because it is markedly easier to get into the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame than some other Halls of Fame. Now, he would deserve it, you can argue, anyway. But if he does this, yeah, he's in. It's a good take because this isn't like the Baseball Hall of Fame. This isn't like the Pro Football Hall of Fame where it is a much, I think, higher bar of selection due to number of players in football and the idiocracy of writers in baseball Jimmy
1: Butler gets in if they get to the NBA title I mean Dave Bing is in the Basketball Hall of Fame Arvidas Sabonis is in the basketball Sidney Moncrief Calvin Murphy like I'm sorry Jimmy Butler's getting into the Basketball Hall of Fame regardless if the Heat win by 30 or lose by 30 tonight this game so I think based on that alone it's a hot take and Michael I agree with you it's the easiest Hall of Fame to make I think just by hosting this show both you and I eligible To be inducted into Springfield, Massachusetts. Yes!
2: Finally a Hall of Fame that will accept me. (laughs) All
3: right, last one for you guys. The Denver Nuggets. I know we're talking Game 7, but the Denver Nuggets, they're still out there as well. Denver getting all of this rest, Aaron, is actually a bad thing. Good take or hot take?
1: I think it's a good take. I believe in momentum in sports. Boy, the Nuggets are just trying to find any high school team in Denver to scrimmage against over the course of the last nine days. And whoever wins this game tonight is going to have so much momentum. It's not like they had an injury or something that they were trying to recover from. Whoever wins, whether it's Miami or Boston, I'm going to take them over Denver in Game 1 of the NBA Finals just because the Nuggets are going to be so out of sorts. And I think it's a bad thing. Michael? You can take this take and throw it right into the sun. That's how hot this take is.
2: Denver is the best team in the NBA right now. Going to Denver is a very difficult thing. And it's going to be hard for Boston or Miami, both of whom are going to be very tired. Boston specifically very tired. It's, it's a hot take. Sorry, just complete hot take on so many levels because Denver is a really good basketball team. At this time of year, having rest so you are fresh? who I'd rather have that than having gone through a seven-game game Knock them down, drag them out
1: situation and a
2: high intensity game seven. Especially if Boston
1: wins, there's such a thing to me in sports as as too much rest. Uh, by the way, I think game in one, the NFL, yes, NBA, no. Game one is on Thursday night of the NBA Finals. Boston wins Game Seven. It's in Boston at TD Garden because the Celtics had a better regular season record than the Nuggets. Obviously, the Heat, the eight seed. If they win, they would go to Denver for Game One on Thursday night, and you could tune in Game Seven of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals, Celtics Heat, presented by Indeed. Coverage starting eight o'clock Eastern on most ESPN radio stations and on Sirius XM channel eighty. Up next, we are on the cusp of another O three Conference Finals comeback. Are we on the cusp of another one in another sport? We get to that. This is Fitz and Harry. I'm Aaron Goldhammer, Michael Rothstein on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app.
3: Fitz and Harry, the podcast. It's a need to know world. And these are the things you need to know. You need to know something with Fitz and Harry.
1: Well, we don't do a lot of lacrosse segments, especially on the day of Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. But I guess that's where we're going here. It is Need to Know. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. I'm Aaron Goldhammer. He is Michael Rothstein. Michael Rothstein has come up with a list of things that he thinks you, the audience, and I, the co-host, need to know about. And, Michael, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, all right, so let's start here, because Aaron Goldhammer, you live
2: in Cleveland, which means that you've never even heard of the sport of lacrosse, I am assuming, because you seem to be mocking it. Well, just about 10 minutes from now, you're going to have the NCAA Lacrosse Championship game that will be on ESPN. It is Duke, it is Notre Dame, Duke the number one seed, led by East Meadow High School's own John Donowski. Notre Dame looking for their first national championship College of lacrosse, if you don't understand this, if you are Aaron Goldhammer and live in the Midwest and don't believe in lacrosse as a sport. I
1: mean, I mean, I, I mean, I'm in Cleveland where the greatest lacrosse player of all time played football for nine you years. Did, you did. I'm just saying. The greatest running back ever, too, Jim Brown. So there you go. <laughs> this is true. But my point is this, is that
2: this, if you live in the Northeast specifically, this is like your Memorial Day has always been. Like This was what I did as a kid growing up was watch the lacrosse Final Four. At Syracuse when I went to school every year, they were also playing in it, but you watch the Final Four. This is huge. This is exciting. You will enjoy watching this if it is, say, cloudy outside. Don't let it interrupt your barbecue cookout, though.
1: well Listen, I, I hate Duke and I hate Notre Dame, so I am rooting for absolutely nobody in this matchup. I'm jealous of both schools and have never rooted for either one in a sporting event ever. They are playing for the lacrosse national championship. What do you got, Michael Rothstein? The next thing I need to know about, but don't. Well, this was yesterday, of course. The Indianapolis 500, another
2: staple that you should – it's the Midwest, Aaron, so you should be comfortable with that. This is in Indianapolis. It's the yard of bricks. Incredible, incredible finish at the Indy 500. Last lap takeover. If you've never been to the 500, you need to go because it is an experience, an American experience unlike any other – and what you saw was Joseph Newgarden win his first Indianapolis 500 in his 12th attempt on a last lap takeover over Marcus Erickson. It was beautiful. It was awesome to watch. I'm just saying, if you're not watching IndyCar, I understand it, especially because you're an F1 person. F1's a better quality of race. However, Joseph Newgarden, big win there. Joseph
1: Newgarden, by the way, also very good table tennis player. Huh. Fascinating. I, I didn't really, I didn't know any of that. I did watch watched I, I found out there were 10 laps to go yesterday, so I okay. figured that would be like the climax. I'd get there for the end, but then I watched for 20 minutes, and they were just slowly driving around in a circle while the caution flag or whatever was out, and then they went green flag, I guess, for one lap or whatever. Yeah, I, I that's was, how it ends. Yeah, I... I I was a little bit distracted and confused about how the whole thing was operating, and so I was definitely on another channel watching something else when the Indy 500 finished. But all that considered, I hope Joseph Newgarden enjoyed his giant jug of milk that he poured all (laughs) over himself after winning the Indy 500. It is stuff I need to know about. Michael Rothstein, Aaron Goldhammer with you, Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. What do you got next over there? Yeah, well—
2: momentarily and it may be happening actually now as we speak the college world series selections are happening now i love the college world series just because it's fascinating college baseball excites me more than major league baseball because there's so many major league baseball games this is a fun event always has been So I put it on here mostly because people should know about it, and you're going to see guys that, hey, three, four years from now, you might hear again, hear of again in the Major League. I'd like to go
1: to the College World Series, and what I've heard is you want to be there at the beginning, not the end. It's like the NCAA Tournament in that the first few days of it are actually the best. The end, you might have the bigger game, the one game. But but to be there when all the teams are in town, all going toe-to-toe, that's when you want to be in Omaha the most at the College World Series. Need to know on Fitz and Harry. I'm Aaron Goldhammer. He's Michael Rothstein. We finish Need to Know with some hockey. Drop some hockey knowledge on me, please.
2: Well, I'm pulling an audible. We'll get to hockey in a second. Because there's another thing that I forgot to mention. EPL, Luton Town. You're probably like, what is Lutontown? I've never heard of Luton Town made an incredible rise. They are now heading to the Premiership next year because they beat Coventry City. So they advance from the championship to the Premier League. But here's the thing. If you watch Welcome to Wrexham, like a decade and a half ago, they were basically Wrexham. They were in the National League. They were out of it. And they have made it all the way to the Premiership. That's an awesome story. They're going to be a team to follow next year. They might get relegated, but they it's just such a and fun story. Thing, One we don't the get in American Reynolds, sports.
1: That's the Ryan Reynolds and the guys from is, Always yes. Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, they own yes. a soccer team, and their soccer team just got promoted. All right. Now, Correct. Th- now by the way, this music totally rocks, and I could this just listen to it all day long. Uh, the uh, Vegas and, and Dallas, what's going on in the West in the hockey? What do I need well, to know about tonight, that? that's tonight, my man. That's tonight. You should know that. Eight o'clock,
2: game six, Vegas up 3-2, trying to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. The Dallas Stars obviously doing what they need to do. I got to say,
1: mistake by the leagues to have these two games going on simultaneously. Agreed. Agreed. Should have played the hockey in the afternoon or the basketball in the afternoon and the hockey at night. And to me, by the way, earth to the NBA, you guys ought to have a playoff game on Memorial Day every year. And I could argue the NBA Finals should start on Memorial Day every year. And then you can own the holiday. You know, the NBA wants to own Christmas. The NFL owns Thanksgiving. College football owns Labor Day. Fourth of July is owned by hot dogs, I guess. (laughs) The hot dog eating contest. Yes, the The hot
2: dog eating contest is owned by July 4th. But here's the thing, by the way. The NFL is coming after your Christmas, too.
1: Yes, I know they are. and uh, But stereotypically, I guess, the NBA has owned Christmas, and the NBA ought to take over and own Memorial Day. Thank you for your need to know. Coming up, how nervous are Miami Heat fans headed into Game 7 tonight with all this history on the line? We talk about it. Fitz and Harry's on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: You've been listening to the Fitz and Harry Podcast. You can listen to The Guy's live weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern on the ESPN Radio. And you can watch on the ESPN app.